Hello, my name is Anna, and if you're into scary stories and creepy real-life happenings, then I think you will love my podcast. Let me tell you a scary story. Join me every week as I read to you stories of the paranormal that actually happen to ordinary people. These are things that can't be explained and don't always make much sense, and they are sure to intrigue and to give you the shivers. So join me on your favourite podcast listening platform and let me tell you a scary story. Welcome to episode 58, North Dakota. Today we're going to discuss the Missouri River Minishitu and talk about the very interesting Gorman dogfight with a UFO in 1948. Man, I saw that when I saw that topic when we were getting prepping the episode. And I yeah, was like, holy crap, that's gonna that's gonna be awesome. It's a very very interesting topic. Uh, the man with the sultry voice over there is James. What's up, everybody? Co-hostess with the mostest. I'm Chris. You're the co-hostess with the leastest. And today <laughs> I'm excited because uh, the idea. I believe your topic is on a cryptid, right? It's a cryptid, but it is also a place. This is, I, I try oh. to do these point of interest places, like I said I've, in previous episodes, so that people can actually go to these places. Uh-huh. So, yeah, it's okay. a cryptid. It's cool. North Dakota doesn't have a whole lot because it's pretty uh, yeah. boring. Yeah. yeah. So I well, found it. So it's both a place and a thing. Let's get into it. All right, sir. Now, who doesn't like a good creature feature? I know I do. I do. This week's point of interest takes us to the Missouri River in central North Dakota, stomping grounds of the infamous Minnowashitu. Sounds like a kaiju rather than some Midwest cryptid creature, if you ask me. Yeah, it does, <laughs> especially from, um, was it, Pacific Rim? Exactly. You know, we've always heard tales of river, lake, swamp creatures told all over the world for centuries. And North Dakota is no exception. You know, they don't want to get left out. Nope. So the Minnowashitu is a terrifying monster that supposedly lives in the Missouri River. Legend has it that although many have claimed to have seen the creature beneath the water, which in itself would lead one to doubt the authenticity of the story, you know, only once on record was it ever spotted on land by one man who lost his mind and died shortly thereafter. No way. <laughs> cool. <laughs> The man was able to give a description of the beast. He said it had red buffalo-like hair with a single eye and horn and a long and jagged spine sticking out of its back, and apparently any encounter with this creature is deadly. Cool. Interesting. You interesting know. description there. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I, did see, I did find a picture of it, mm -hmm. and it looks like a cow with a single horn, a cyclops cow with a horn. Mm. Big old hooves. A cyclops unicorn cow, huh? But it is, you know, there's something interesting coming up about this whole thing, though. Okay. 
Legend warns us that anyone who comes face to face with the Minoshitu will shortly go shortly. Well, that's what it says. Will go insane and die. This has been stated in more than one source and appears to be the root of the quote unquote scare factor used to intrigue people. You know, never mind that it is a bipedal, one eyed, horned creature. <laughs> <laughs> That's not enough. You know, now, folks, can, can this be concocted from the fact that the man died after the alleged encounter and people just thought he was crazy, so they decided to add that fact to the legend? Yeah, probably. Could be. It also begs to ask, why did they believe him enough to continue propagating the tale throughout the land? Tourism. I don't know. I suppose so. Yep. In my research, I actually found a zoological classification of the creature. Somebody actually wrote up a, a zoological classification on this thing like you would read in, a, yeah. in like an encyclopedia of animals and stuff. Okay. So why not? I thought I'd share it. Let's now, do it. I did not write this. but the, this Okay. <laughs> Let's see what you got. The Minoa Chateau. 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 Get any great people in. Yep. The scientific name is actually Bison Laskinus. It's spelled L-U-S-C-I-N-U-S. So you can Laskinus, Laskinus, however you want to pronounce it. Yeah. Described as an awakened form of the North American bison and resembles its source animal except that the fur is ruddy in color. The horns and eyes of the Minoshitu, which come in pairs on the bison, have fused together so that it possesses a single eye and single horn. Weird. Yeah. You ever hear of Daggoth? Yeah. <laughs> it also has a ridge of sharp bone spurs down its spine. The Minoshitu, unlike its quadrupedal mundane cousin, is capable of going either on four legs or standing up on two. Oh, that's creepy. Of course. That's scary. Its habitat. It is an amphibious creature. Ha- inhabits fresh water, northern temperature. It's northern temperate, they call it. And subarctic. Its range is in North America and the northern Missouri River Valley. So hmm. it's fairly localized. Yeah. Now, its size, when standing on its hind legs, can reach heights of seven to nine feet tall. It's always seven to nine feet tall. I know. Anywhere from 1,000 to 2,000 pounds, which would be consistent with a buffalo-style creature. Yeah. It is omnivorous, which means somebody out there doesn't know. That means it eats both plants and animals. Uh-huh. Its behavior is a, sol- it's a solitary creature. Its diet consists mostly of plants, especially reeds and grasses that grow in or near the rivers in their native habitat, supplementing their diet with animal protein, largely carrion and fish. Mm, carrion is carcasses. Yep. But sometimes larger animals as well. It didn't really say. Like Bigfoot. Intensely territorial, it will react violently to any intruder into its territory. Being a partially aquatic creature, Minoshitu hibernate under the ice in rivers and in lakes during the winter. And I'm sitting there going, okay, uh, wouldn't it drown? But then again, fish. Yeah, it's amphibious. But when you look at the animal, it doesn't look amphibious. It looks more like a weird horn, Bigfoot, cloven hoof looking thing. Yeah, it's got fur, which is weird. So that's strange. It breaks its way out of the ice with their powerful horns when spring and thaw begins. During the thaw, the Minoshitu, using their echolocation abilities, search out and compete for mates. So there's more than one. And it's got bat echolocation? 
that, that's what it says. Man, that thing has everything <laughs> in it. My goodness. Echolocation, yep. The ability to effectively go into biological stasis for months at a time is often used by security for... What? I'm, I'm reading this verbatim, mm-hmm. mind you. Used by security forces in their native habitats to keep them docile until they are needed. <laughs> so there's a, a, a secret security force that <laughs> guards them. And I, I don't know if it's other it members of their species or, or what. The humans, them, probably. I, who knows. This stasis also makes the Minoashitu most dangerous in the late fall when gathering the energy and protein for hibernation in a hunting frenzy. Awakened qualities, dual-natured, the territorial Minoashitu, besides a supernaturally powerful echolocation, two natural defenses it employs when threatened, a massive bellow that can both deafen and blind organisms that get near it, and the gaze from one eye can form a link for a powerful mental attack on the faculties of the target. Sounds like Star Wars fan fiction. <laughs> no, it does. Sounds like the Wampa's cousin or something. Now, take this as you will. You know, it's quite an elaborate description and begs to wonder just how they came to these observations. I mean, how how do they know? They yeah, wrote this thing up. He's like, how do you know? Making up half this shit. Yeah, who knows? People can have quite the imagination, but I did find the following by someone I would think to be considered a legitimate source. Which surprised me. In 1921, author Melvin Randolph, one-time curator of the North Dakota State Historical Society, wrote this. Quote, It is said that in the long ago there was a mysterious being within the stream of the Missouri River. It was seldom seen by human beings and it was most dreadful to see. It is said that sometimes it was seen within the water in the middle of the stream causing a redness shining like the redness of fire as it passed up the stream against the current with a terrific roaring sound. And they say that it, if this dreadful being was seen by anyone in the daytime, anyone who thus saw it soon after became crazy and continued restless. It's, this is this guy's writing, so yeah. beg your pardon. It's old writing. And writhing as though in pain until he was relieved by death. Damn. Okay. Yeah. That would suck. And it is said that one time, not a very great many years ago, this frightful being was seen by man, and he told of how it appeared. He said that it was strange form and covered in all it was covered all over with hair, like a buffalo, but red in color. That it had only one eye in the middle of its forehead, and above that a single horn. Its backbone stood out notched and jagged like an enormous saw. As soon as the man beheld the awful sight, everything became dark to him, he said. He was just able to reach home, but he lost his reason and soon then died. Yipe. It is said this mysterious Minoashitu, in quotes, water monster, still lives in the Missouri River. And that in the springtime, as it moves upstream against the current, it breaks up the ice of the river. So, yeah, that's what breaks up the ice. It's helpful. Not, not nature thawing out naturally. No, it's the Minoshitu. Minoshitu. Breaking up the ice, yep. This water monster was held in awe and dread by the people. Really? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take his word for it. Yeah. 
Now, I tried to find more information on sightings. Much to my surprise, and I mean that sarcastically, there was not much to go on besides the word of mouth and stories passed down over time, which is why I both like and dislike legends like this. A lesser-known mysterious creature in a sparsely populated region does have some intrigue, and as a believer in the cryptids, you know, I, I believe in cryptid creatures. Yeah, me too. I love to hear about the variety of monsters out there just waiting for us to see, discover, and study. You know, as for myself, and I think Chris as well, we always are willing to listen to a story, study the facts and the evidence and other information that we come across. But make no mistake, just because we feature a creature on our show does not give said monster any validation from us. We just report the facts and That's what right. we know. That's right. We choose to share these legends because they are indeed fascinating, and we hope that at least some are factual in basis. You know, the good thing is most of these legends, like the Minoshitu, there is a description, a geographic location, and they are accessible to all who dare venture out in search of these strange creatures. You know, add to all this the millions of sightings of all the cryptids throughout history. You think they all lied? You know, I sure as hell don't. No. So when in North Dakota... Rent yourself a raft, take a little trip down the Mizzou River, run some video, and remember, if you encounter the old one-eye, don't look him, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I know. Hey, uh, I did that on purpose. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, go on, go on. Now, if you encounter old <laughs> don't look him in the eye. You might just go crazy or worse. Maybe they make goggles for this. I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> I think they do. Some anti-monster goggles? <laughs> <laughs> Some they live glasses or something. Yep. But I found oh. that uh, very obscure. Um, it, the best way to describe him, like I said, I see him standing up. He's cyclops-ish. Okay. Has a very large mouth like a cow. Okay. You know, buffalo's mouths are a little less pronounced. This guy yeah. had a larger mouth, and he did have the one horn. And uh, it did curve upward. It didn't go out straight like a unicorn or anything. Right. And he did have the spike, you know, the little spikes on his back, like a little mini stegosaurus yeah. or something. But it's just a weird-looking creature. That's and interesting. like I said, it was a neat little legend. And who knows, you know, that I know the locals like to make stuff up or carry it down. But this guy, like this historical society guy, actually wrote that article. Right. So I've, I consider that a halfway uh, respectable source. Unless he was this out to make money, because I don't know the fella, but this was 1921, so. Oh, it was a long time ago then. Yeah. yeah. It was yeah. before before video and before yeah. they could take, you know, really decent pictures and stuff. So. Well, this is before the uh, huge Bigfoot craze that started with the Patterson-Gimlin film, so. Yeah. Yeah. This thing does sound like a, a sort of cross of, like, fish creature and Bigfoot creature. It does. It's, seven, it's very seven strange. Seven feet tall when it's on its hind legs and it's furry. And it's, it's only been spotted on land once, according to what you know what I've seen. But, yeah. Uh, and spends most of its time underwater, so I would consider it more of a like a gator style creature. Yeah. Then again, no gators spend a lot of time on land too, so I take that back. But yeah. well, even the Loch Ness monster has been seen on land. So this is true. It's just this weird sort of uh, um, again amphibious creature that just you know lives in both worlds. Yeah. It but does. this one's got echolocation which is this thing has everything well it's got the mental powers too yeah so and that mental probably powers. has something to do with it so if it you, can reach out and grab you yeah someone was just writing some ex extensive star wars fan fiction the jedi mind trick and, yeah. and just wrote this creature <laughs> and, and then lost their paperwork and it was found by somebody who's like oh my gosh this sounds like a real creature and then holy was, crap they ran with it discovered in an attic somewhere and they wrote it up as fact. yeah like this, they, this must be real yep 
No, it's pretty cool. I like that description. The uh, it's a cre- it's a, a, a crazy, scary sounding creature, though. Yep. I mean, it, it can get you in the water. It can get you on land. You're you're not safe anywhere. And you can go anywhere on the Missouri River and supposedly be able to spot it. So. And I bet you its mental powers are part of the reason why the guy went crazy because it may have like. Well, that's what they claim. It yeah. forms a mind link and drives you insane because yeah. it gives you that stare. You know, it gives you the old one eye. Gives you done. the old uh, ex-wife stare. That's it. Makes you go crazy. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that the wives do that, man. Yes, sir. Yeah, very cool, man. All right, all right, man. Cool. Well, that's a great story. I had never heard of the. Uh, say it again. A Minowashitu. Minowashitu, but uh, now I want to go hunt for one. Yes. And uh, see if it will drag me back to its watery lair. But don't look at it. And I, I will not look at the one eye. Because I don't know if it, you can look at a reflection, you know, do like the Medusa, the Medusa thing, you know, thing, trick it with yeah. a sword or, or I mean, trick it with a shield or something. But. I don't know. It, it does. It also does sound like a creature from from like the, the, the Odyssey or something. It does. It sounds very, I mean, the it Cyclops. Does. The, yep. Sounds like one of the creatures from, uh, um, what is it? Uh, um, when I look at it, yeah. best way I can describe it, minus the tail. If uh-huh. anybody's ever seen the old Star Trek and they remember that white, animal creature that yeah. attacked Kurt called the uh the uh what was it the uh, hang on i'll get it the magatu okay if you look that up kind of looks like that yeah except that's more ape like in the face than this thing is this is more cow but it's kind of that kind of build yeah it's, you know bipedal and stuff like that because it went on both four and right. two legs when it jumped him but yeah it sounds like something from um What's that damn movie with uh, the Odyssey with the um, Jason and the Argonauts? Yeah, that, and then the other one with the uh, the, the Kraken. Oh, the Clash of the Titans. Yeah, the original Clash of the Titans. It's Definitely like the Clash from, of the Titans. Looking yeah, thing. it sounds just like something from that. Yep, movie scared the hell out of me as a kid. Yeah, it was uh, pretty creepy. Yeah, it's pretty great. All right, but why don't we take a break and uh, get something to drink, Indeed. and then we'll get into this uh, UFO dogfight. Yes, sir. Now, what makes the Gorman dogfight a unique case from the pages of Project Blue Book is not only the length of the encounter, but that it was recorded both on the ground and in the sky by numerous reputable sources. Fantastic. For 27 minutes, a World War II pilot, George Gorman, was involved in an aerial dogfight with an object from another world. Very nice. On the night of October 1st, 1948, George F. Gorman of the North Dakota Air National Guard was part of a cross-country flight with his guard squadron that would land at Hector Airport in Fargo. Fargo. <laughs> After the other pilots landed their planes, the 25-year-old second lieutenant decided to engage in some extended nighttime flying, as you would. He flew over a football stadium and circled the city before deciding to land at the airport. At 9 p.m., he received clearance from the tower to make his descent. But as Gordon lowered his P-51 Mustang, 
Tower warned him of another plane, a Piper Cub, in his vicinity. Uh-oh. Gorman could see the Cub about 500 feet below him. Within he saw what he thought were the taillights of another plane. Radio in the tower for info, he was told that they only had the Cub and the Mustang on radar. Dun-dun-dun. Dramatic music. Yeah. yeah. There's something out there. He then decided to get a closer look at the other aircraft, and Gorman pulled up and closed in on the object, getting within 1,000 yards. In his report, Gorman stated, quote, It was about 6 to 8 inches in diameter, clear, white, and completely without fuzz at the edges. It was blinking on and off. As I approached, however, the light suddenly became steady and pulled into a sharp left bank. I thought and this it was, was how big? Six to eight inches. Just a little bitty thing. A little bitty thing, yeah. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah. Wasn't some, I thought I heard that. I was like, what? It wasn't some huge aircraft. but Like it was, frisbee size. It was bright enough for him to see at least 500 yards out. Wow. I thought it was making a pass at the tower. I dived after it and brought my manifold pressure up to 60 inches, but I couldn't catch up with the thing. I started gaining altitude and again made a left bank. I put my P-51 into a sharp turn and tried to cut the light off at its turn. By then, we were at about 7,000 feet. He decided to follow the object and found it to be rather difficult catching up with it. Finally, at about 7,000 feet, he was able to get up behind it, and suddenly, the object made a sharp turn and started coming right at Gorman's P-51. In what seemed like a sudden game of chicken, Gorman dove his plane at the last minute and stated that he could see the light pass over his canopy at about 500 feet before it made another sharp turn and headed back down towards him coming up behind him saying mm. chasing his ass oh shit just as the object seemed it would once again collide with its plane it shot straight up in the air in a steep climb wow gorman made a move to follow but found that the climb was so steep that his p-51 stalled at fourteen thousand feet well, that's not bad for a prop plane, though. No, it's not. And a, and a P-51 is an incredibly powerful and very fast. Yeah, wasn't that what um, Mantell was flying? Yes. His, yeah. As a matter of fact, the Mantell, mm-hmm. same thing. But he did yeah. a circular motion all the way up to 25,000 before his cutout, I think it was. Right, but we've heard again that this P-51 is just, it's just a beast. Oh, it is. Yeah. It's a great, great machine. Gorman reported blacking out temporarily due to the excessive speed he reached in attempting to turn with the object. He said, quote, I'm in fairly good physical condition, and I do not believe that there are many, if any, pilots who could withstand the turn and speed affected by the object and remain conscious. The object was not only able to outturn and outspeed my aircraft, but it was able to attain a far steeper climb and was able to maintain a constant rate of climb far in excess of my aircraft. Holy shit. End quote. He lost sight of the craft after that, but according to Gorman, he engaged in aerial maneuvers with it for over 27 minutes before he brought down his plane. Speaking about it afterward, Gorman, who was visibly shaken by the encounter, would go on to say that he noticed no sound, odor, nor exhaust trail from the object. He also said that while he reached speeds of up to 400 miles while pursuing the craft, he never came close to keeping up with it. See, that's what I was going to say. P-51 can do about five, 600 miles an hour. Right. Mm-hmm. So, man, that's not, crazy. Still not even close enough to catch that object. Nope. Now, 2nd Lieutenant Gorman wasn't the only one who was witness to what went on that night. Air traffic controllers Lloyd D. Jensen and H.E. Johnson, who were manning the Hector Airport Tower, also witnessed the spectacle. According to Johnson, who reported seeing the Piper Cub and the UFO at the same time, the object was, quote, traveling at a high rate of speed, end quote, and was, quote, fast enough to increase the spacing between itself and Gorman's fighter, end quote. 
Johnson described the object as appearing to be, quote, only a round light perfectly formed with no fuzzy edges or rays leaving its body. So this is like a legit orb. White, Something bright, circle. Yep. Yeah. Like actual orb, not them fake yeah. ass ghost orbs. Yep. I hear you. Dr. A.E. Cannon, the pilot of the Piper Cub and his passenger also viewed the object. So we have people from Gorman above. The Piper in the middle. So you have and collaboration. The we yep. have two and three other different there collaborations. You go. Cor- corroboration. Cor- thank you. Excuse Cor- me. Corroboration. Pick the right word. That's yes. right. Both in the sky and upon their return to the airport, where they immediately joined the traffic controllers at the tower. Dr. Cannon described the light as moving very swiftly, much faster than the 51. Two Civil Aeronautics Authority employees on the ground also reported seeing the object. So we've got six people not counting gorman already seen this object yeah that's what fantastic i love when they have you know multiple witnesses multiple witnesses from, absolutely from all that's over fantastic. it's like it's like that one we did in uh crap what was that one the uh the one where there was like 50 people in town that witnessed it including the mayor and the chief of police wasn't that the one where it's like the that was an overwhelming UFO? Uh, yeah, it was. That, I think it was like New Jersey or something. Jersey, I think. Yeah, it was, it was like, like like fifty UFO sightings in like a span no, of a month. No, no, or no, no. It was one UFO that was seen one night by like fifty plus people. Yeah, it, all all in the same night, including the the mayor, gotcha. chief of police, council members, and at one point it was seen siphoning water from nearby residents. That's right. Yeah, that was part of Jersey though. Mm-hmm. I, if I if I remember correctly. Some researchers have speculated that perhaps what Gorman saw was another plane, perhaps one that was a government secret project. Of course, the government. Government. Many points out that one year earlier, Chuck Yeager made his famous flight in the Bell X-1, breaking the sound barrier. Yes. However, many people, including a Dr. Travis S. Taylor, an aerospace engineer and author of Introduction to Rocket Science and Engineering, credible, Believes any other aircraft would have been apparent to Gorman as even being advanced, the X-1 still looked like a plane. Yes, it did. Others speculate a secret rocket test, perhaps from the clandestine initiative Operation Paperclip or the R-1 rocket from the Soviet Union, which had begun testing that same year. Yeah. However, no matter how advanced the rockets were, all maneuvers were done in a slow method, unlike the craft that Gorman saw. Exactly. Plus, hello, six to eight inches. Yeah, it's round. It's round. round. Six to eight inches. Yeah. Even, Sorry, even this if is a rocket's, no rocket. Even if a rocket's coming right at you, which will probably look like a six, eight, six, or yeah. six to eight inch round circle, at some point when you go around it, you're going to see yeah. the cylindrical tube. Exactly. Even more standard explanations were put forth from weather balloons to the bright appearance of Jupiter that night. Always go with the damn planet. Of course. The weather balloon explanation became the official one, Project, Project Blue Book, as the Air Weather Service revealed that they had released a lighted weather balloon 10 minutes before Gorman saw the first object or saw the object. Here's what I say to the government and their stupid uh, weather balloon stupid explanation. Weather, they can kiss my ass. <laughs> okay. You people are hiding stuff from everybody all the time. There is so much out there that you do not have the right to withhold from people. I don't care what you think, you know, if people can handle it or not. We have the right to know what the hell is flying around our planet. I mean, if there's UFOs and stuff, we have the right to know about it. Let us decide if we can handle it. Exactly. As for their explanation for the seemingly incredible movements of the object described by Gorman, those were due to Gorman's own maneuvers as he tried to chase the bright object. Essentially, 
investigators wrote, his high speed gave the balloon the appearance of moving in opposite directions as he passed by. Yeah. I yeah. don't know if they had video on them on their wings back in those days. Video? No, they didn't have cameras back no, then. No, I was no. going to say, because if they had, ca- man, roll film on no. that bitch. Because cameras back then were like 600 pounds, so they're not yeah. going to put that on a plane. And they have them on bigger planes and stuff, so yeah. not fighters. Was he hallucinating? Perhaps from some sort of side effect of his time in World War II? No. Government investigators found him to be a credible witness, noting that he, quote, did not make the impression of being a dreamer. He reads little and only serious literature. Uh-huh. He spends 90% of his time hunting and fishing, drinks less than moderately, smokes normally, and does not do drugs. He appears to be a sincere and serious individual who was considerably puzzled by his experience and made no attempt to blow up his story, end quote. So what did Gorman see and interact with that night in 1948? It's unsure, but Gorman never spoke publicly about it again, but was known to tell friends that he was never convinced that he had been dueling with a lighted balloon for 27 minutes. Hell no. He would return to the Air Force full-time, reaching the rank of Lieutenant Colonel before retiring and passing away in 1982. Author Travis Taylor has his own theory, stating it was, quote, possibly somebody was playing around with the rocketry, end quote, although he admits there were no known testing facilities in that area. Gorman's final word on the dogfight was thus, quote, I am convinced that an object was governed by the laws of inertia because acceleration was rapid but not immediate. And although it was able to f- turn fairly tight at considerable speed, it still followed a natural curve. Mm-hmm. So in other words, no 90 degree stuff. Yeah. You know. it, it, so it was, it was, it had to follow our earthly laws of physics. Yeah. But it did it. It did so very, very easily. Yes. And without without much strain on its um, whatever it was. Gotcha. Yeah. Some time traveler with a drone. Maybe maybe, maybe it was. I mean, I don't know. Cause they, I don't know, because I'm pretty sure even back then, uh, P-51 could catch up to a drone nowadays. Yeah. Drones are not that and, damn fast. And yeah. And, and like I said, back to the balloon theory, yeah. they can shove that because I have seen full-size hot air balloons. I have seen weather balloons. I have seen those uh, dirigibles. I've seen all that crap. Yeah, none of that stuff can go anywhere near that speed. Even no. the, even if there was, the basket was empty and you launched the a, a hot air balloon with nothing in it, it's not going to go no four hundred miles an hour. And again, well, it, it went more than four hundred because Gorman went yeah. four hundred. He was going four hundred. It was outrunning him. Yeah. yeah. So not only could it not go that fast, but even if he had gone within five hundred feet of it. You know, his I'm sure that the when he dove, the vacuum his plane created would have probably dragged the balloon down with him. Instead, yeah. it went the opposite way and went up exactly further. So, yeah, the balloon doesn't make any sense. Obviously, it's not a rocket because rockets don't do all those fancy turns, at nope. least not back then. That's a great story, though, man. Yeah, man, it's really neat to, to again. It's like the third UFO uh, dogfight or at least UFO plane encounter we've covered. Yeah. And uh, one that I hadn't really heard about very much and yep. was one of the more fascinating tales I've heard about a pilot UFO encounter. And I'm glad this one, he lived to tell the tale because our yes, boy uh, Mantel, Mantel, he actually perished. It. Yeah, he crashed in his attempt to. I think he went was. too high is what it was. And he just lost his oxygen, passed out and crashed. Probably, yeah. Mm-hmm. If I recall the episode correctly. Yeah. yeah he So uh, thankfully, Gorman was able to pull out of his descent, but uh, Mantel yeah. couldn't. Now, see, when you first said this, I have to admit this, I almost started laughing because I thought you said George Foreman. 
I didn't. I didn't hear the G. I thought you said George Foreman. When George you Foreman, said, I said George Foreman. Well, but that's that's where George, but... that's where George got the idea for his uh, his grill. I suppose so. it's it's round and it's white <laughs> and it's shaped like a UFO. He's like, I'm I'm going to make this into a grill and it's going to make some yeah, fast free right. food. Make some great burgers. It's going to be out of space food. That's right. All right, but well, uh, another great episode. I had a lot of fun. Yes, sir. Learning about another cool cryptid and yeah. another great UFO dogfight. Um, but before we go, if everybody would please uh, rate and review us. Please, yeah. Go to anywhere you or listen. Wherever. Anywhere you listen. Uh, if you'd like going to YouTube, if you would be so kind to subscribe to our channel. Uh, also, if you would like to support the show, if you want to go to www.patreon.com forward slash state of fear. And if you don't want to do the monthly thing, that's fine. We also do a buy me a coffee. Go to buymeacoffee.com, search for our podcast. Uh, or go to our Twitter page or Instagram. Uh, check out the link tree. That link tree. Yep. We have the Buy Me a Coffee link on there as well. Uh, and give us a one-time donation. Everything you give goes back to the show. And we are very, very appreciative of anything that you That's feel right. like you want to share with the show. Yes, we are indeed. All right, James. Well, I think we're heading next to Alabama. The great state of Alabama. That's right. So let's. Uh, why don't we head on out and see what we can find out there. Hell yeah, we better get going, too, because we couldn't be farther the other side of the country. <laughs> well, North we'll, Dakota to Alabama. We'll definitely need some coffee. So, uh, yeah. Help. Help. Yeah. Yep. All right, guys. We'll see you all next week. Take care, guys.